We're wrapping up this series called All In, uh, where we've been talking about unity. We've been looking at several stories from Jesus' life where he modeled things for us that help us to be more and more united with others, because Jesus calls us uh, to be a united people. And today, we're going to uh, walk with Jesus uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult time in his life, and we're going to walk with him through that. Uh, when I was in college, uh, 1999, I had the opportunity to do a semester abroad in Israel. So it was like, instead of going to college in America, you kind of go over there. And it was just a powerful experience. In fact, I was there, I hadn't been there for just a, but a couple weeks um, when we got to a holiday called Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, a very important day uh, for Jewish folks, for they believe that on this day that it's the day that God decides whether they're going to live another year or not. So even if you're kind of casual about it, this is an important one. You don't want to miss it, right? And so our classes were shut down and whatnot, and we kind of had this day that was just free. So I, I decided that I wanted myself to participate in, in this. And so I decided to take a day and just to fast and to pray. And I thought, hey, I'm in Jerusalem, right? Like, where better to go than, than the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed? So I kind of walked up Mount of Olives through Bethany, came down um, and got to this garden. It was, it was a beautiful space. It was, honestly, it was more simple than I expected. I thought there would be more, you know, there's always these, like, shops and commercial stuff, whatever. I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's just very, very simple. It's such a, a powerful place to be. And I got to sit there throughout the day and to pray, and, and I brought my journal, and I journaled, and just felt so close to the Lord here, right, right where Jesus had sat, right? And uh, even I had brought, um, I, I brought with me on that trip this, like, video camera, as in, like, a VA camcorder, right? Like this big. Because, <laughs> you know, that's what we had then. Because Jennifer and I were dating long distance then. She was on the other side of the world. So I made a little video for her so I could mail the VHS tape back. That's like a TikTok for middle-aged people, right? And, and so it was an awesome day, right? And, and the sun's about to go down, and, and I start heading down, walking out of, of this garden, right? And I walk probably about 100 yards. The road turns a little bit, and then I see this sign the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> I was not in the Garden of Gethsemane at all. I was in some random Israelite's olive garden where <laughs> did not have unlimited breadsticks nor salads, so whatever. But I was close to the Garden of Gethsemane, I think. So Jesus himself, though, he, he goes with his disciples, and this, this is a tough night. It's, it's, uh, it's Thursday night of this, this holy week, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they've celebrated the Passover one day early. For on Friday, Jesus himself, is, his life will be given as the ultimate Passover lamb, right? And so they, they've celebrated the Passover. They, they go from the Mount, from the Mount of Olives to this garden, and they, and they get there, and Jesus is going through a lot. He's in a lot of pain, and he feels, he feels very alone. And, and I bet that's a feeling that we understand. I bet that for every person in our lives, in our, in our room, I mean, we can look back at a time in our lives where we can say, I really felt alone here. I, I might have been surrounded by lots of other people, but boy, I just, I didn't feel like I connected with anybody. It just, there was this distance. There was this, nobody seemed to understand. Nobody seemed to get it. Maybe you're here today and that's exactly where you're at. Like, I'm in a room full of people, and they're singing, and they seem joyful, but I just, ugh, I'm not sure if I feel it. I'm not sure if I feel it. 
In fact, this is a common time of year for it, right? I read a study last year that said 55% of people go through, went last year, went through loneliness holidays. Doesn't shock any of us. It's a time where sometimes we miss somebody who we love who's, who's gone on before us. Or, or, or maybe where there's some distance between us and some people that we shouldn't have distance between, some family or friends, and, and that causes pain or difficulty. Or maybe it's, it's something else, but you know what it's like to feel that loneliness and that pain. Well, friend, one of the incredible things about following Jesus is that, that we're praying to, we're worshiping, we're singing to a God who knows exactly what it's like to feel the things we feel. For he came to this earth, he was 100% human, 100% God. So in his humanity, he felt the same emotions that I feel and that you feel. He literally knows what it's like. He gets it. He gets it. So we're going to read the story from the Gospel of Mark. And Mark is known for being pretty matter-of-fact, right? But here he lets us in on a little bit more detail about Jesus' emotions and where he's at. Mark 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And just side note, remember Peter, James, and John, this is like Jesus' inner circle, right? These are his closest disciples. When he went on to the Mount of Transfiguration, these were the three that he took with them. Uh, they go, they're going to be ones to, to give account. In fact, uh, Christian tradition says that, that Peter was the one uh, who spent a lot of time with Mark and gave Mark his information by which he wrote this gospel. Uh, so they're there for that kind of purpose. But also, these are just Jesus' closest friends. These are the people there on earth uh, who Jesus is closest to. These, his mother Mary, these are his closest earthly companions. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Here's what he said. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Isn't that powerful? Jesus, in, he, he's got this foreknowledge, right? So he knows what's going to happen. He, he knows what's going to happen there at the cross. He knows the suffering. He knows the pain. He knows how he's going to take all of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. He's, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And in his humanity, in his weakness, he says, God, if, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering pass. Let, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please take this away. Please take this away. It's the Son of God talking. But not what I will but what you will. This is his prayer. He, so he's taken the disciples and, the, and he's taken Peter, James, and John a little further into the garden and, and, and he asked them there to, to sit up, to keep watch, presumably to pray with him there, to be right over here while, while he's over there. Well, why? Well, they're his closest friends and because Jesus, he knows his emotions, he knows his pain, he knows what he's going through and he knows that he needs he needs somebody else. He, he needs others 
to be with him. He, ne- he needs others to care for him. He needs others to love him. Because the fact is, Jesus did, he trusted his father's plan, right? We know that Jesus trusted his father's plan. We can see that through this. We can see that in his prayer. But that doesn't mean it wasn't painful. It doesn't mean that it was always easy. We might look at Jesus and be like, well, he's God, right? What's the, you know, no, these, in his flesh, this is very difficult, very challenging for him. And he needs the support of his friends. Peter, James, and John, what three better ones to choose, right? Because they've, they've promised. They've promised to him they'll do this. In fact, earlier that night, Peter had said to him, Lord, if everybody else falls away on account of you, not me. I'm the one you can count on, all right? So Peter's in, right? James and John, previously, they had said, Lord, would you go into your kingdom? We want to be there with you at your right hand on your left, right? We want to be like number one, number two in your kingdom, all right? You want to do that? Great. Come with me. Watch. Pray. Be there for me in this difficult moment. He knows he needs their support. Mark tells us that he felt like his soul was, was being crushed, pressed with grief to the point of death. It's about as emotional as you get. It's ironic because Jesus is he's in a place called Gethsemane, which it literally means olive press, right? You know, because this is where they would, they would press the olives. They'd press the oil out of it. And, and this is what's happening in Jesus' spirit. He feels crushed. He feels pressed because he knows what's about to happen. He knows that in just, in, in just hours, he's going to be unjustly tried by evil men. He's going to be falsely condemned. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. He knows what's coming. He knows the pain. He knows the difficulty. Broken body. Blood poured out. No wonder he needed the help of his friends. No wonder he asked them to go and to, to sit up with him. And, you know, it's, it's diff- <clears throat> difficult to be strong for others. It is. It, it, it's even more difficult to admit that we need the help of others because we want to be tough. I got this. I don't, I don't need anybody else, right? I, I'm strong. I'm... But we need each other. We need each other. I need you. I can't live out this Christian life on my own. That's nonsense. Jesus himself need others, needed others. And we need them in these moments like this where we feel broken or hurting or angry or grieving. Uh, we need it in moments where maybe we don't even know what we need. We're like, just pray for me. I don't even know what to pray. Just pray for me. Pray for me. We need to be there for each other. This is part of the purpose of a church. This is why we have great groups in our church, like ARM, our guys group, or United Women in Faith, or women's group, or, or we've got life groups, we've got bands, we've got ministries for our teens, ministries for our children, uh, so many different ways that we're here for one another, that we do life together. It's great to meet here together and worship. That's awesome, but that's just one, just one component of it because we can't do life alone and, and we need one another. And hopefully our experience with the body of Christ will be better than what Jesus experienced. Mark tells us that, that he walked away, that he fell to the ground. He fell presumably face first to the ground. And he's suffering. He's in a lot of emotional distress. 
He's sweating. The Bible will tell us in the Gospel of Luke that he was even sweating drops of blood, which is a bona fide medical condition a person can experience when they're going through extreme emotional distress. This is where our Lord was this night. I mean, how would you feel if you knew what was coming, if you knew that was ahead of you? Probably we'd feel just like Jesus did. If you noticed in his prayer, Jesus starts off in anguish. Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But then he moves. He moves to this place of trust. Not my will, but yours be done. This prayer, it, 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 it's oftentimes, you know, we look at prayer as like, how do I get God to align to my will, right? But in reality, prayer is often about aligning my will with God's will. I mean, yeah, there's times I pray and, and, and perhaps it may change the direction that something was going to go. But I believe in that. I believe that happens. But I also believe that many times it changes my heart. It helps me to align my heart with the will of God. John Wesley, he famously prayed and he said, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. In other words, not what I want, God, but what you want. (laughs) He took the prayer from Jesus, basically. This is exactly what Jesus prayed. And it's a simple prayer of obedience. It's a, a prayer, in prayer we need to be bold enough to lay our requests before God, bold enough to pray in faith, knowing that God can and will answer. And we need to be humble enough to submit ourselves to the will of God. Say, God, this is what I want, what I'm asking for, what I'm trusting you for. But God, if that is not your will, what I really want is your will. Because at the end of the day, your will is best. Your will is better than mine. You see things I don't. You know things I don't. Your ways are higher than my ways. I submit myself. I surrender myself to you. Even Jesus didn't get everything he asked for. For that cup was not to pass on that night. No, it was his. So in the midst of this awful pain and suffering, Jesus goes back to his followers who were supposed to be praying with him. Verse 37, Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. Simon, are you still asleep? Couldn't you stay awake and watch with me for even one hour? Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, temptation will overpower you. For For though the Spirit is willing enough body is weak. It's true. And Jesus is hurting so much, he had to share it with somebody. He goes back to check in on them. He goes back to communicate with his best friends, to find support, encouragement, help from his best friends. The one who's he sat there and said, please stay with me. Watch with me. I need you. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. And in the midst of his greatest pain, they're, they're sleeping. Surely, surely I could trust my friends. My best friends would be here for me in this awful hour of my life. Nope, <laughs> they're sleeping. And imagine what it's like. Jesus gets back there and he wakes them up like, hey, what are, what are you doing? I, I asked you to stay awake. I asked you to pray. What you? Sorry, Lord. We, oh, man, it's, could we have done this any earlier? I mean, you know, at that supper, Judas, he drank all of our five-hour energy. We just, I'm dragging, man. One hour. 
That's all I asked for. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Verse 40, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. No excuses. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? His best friends sleeping through his moment of pain, through his hour of pain and agony. Humans let us down. They do. You know this. You've experienced it firsthand. 41b. Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him, a crowd of armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then everyone deserted him, and fled. Kind of ironic. The one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, is literally forsaken by all of his friends. It's what Jesus did for us. The crowd, the mob has arrived led by one of his own 12 disciples, Judas. He wasn't shocked by it. He knew it. He had predicted it. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt. The one who said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. His friends all hit the road while he's about to lay down his life for them. In Gethsemane, we see Jesus' emotions on display like no other time, perhaps, in his life. Remember, Jesus, he's fully human and fully divine, so he's feeling all of this just as much as you would, just as much as I would. So if you're here today and you're feeling some pain, you're feeling alone, maybe you've sat through this series on unity and it's maybe even frustrated you. You've said, yeah, but I, <laughs> I got a different story to tell. And it's, I've been hurt, I've been abandoned, I've been let down too many times. This unity business, it all sounds cute, but it's not worth it. It's not worth the pain. It's not worth the risk. It's not worth the hurt. It's easier to keep everybody at arm's length because then nobody can get close enough to hurt me. That's legit. Because if you're around enough people, 
It's going to happen. They're going to hurt you. They're going to let you down. And I still believe 100% that we need others, that Lone Ranger Christianity isn't really a thing. We need each other. The Bible is really clear on this. I believe it's a risk worth taking, but that doesn't mean it's not a risk. All good things in life come as a result of taking some risk. Unity is one of those things. But the problem is that your friends, your family, your co-workers, the other people in your life, like you, they're sinners. They mess up. And like you and me, they're frail humans at times. They may fall asleep at the switch when we really needed them. Or we may go to them and pour out some hurt and some pain, and they may, they, they may feel awkward because of the pain, and they may something that they, say something they're trying to be helpful, but it's just something dumb, and it is not helpful at all. Or we may reach out, and they may not be there. Or they may be wanting to talk about their own stuff and not really hearing us, not really getting us. Or they may judge us or condemn us or say mean things. Unity is important. But hear me, friends. If you're expecting unity with other people to stabilize your life, then you're finding stability in the wrong thing. You see, Jesus himself, he put his trust in God. He put his trust in God the Father. In his moments of greatest pain, Jesus put his trust in God. And, and hours later, Jesus, he would go to the cross and he would be crucified. And the Bible would say that he who knew no sin became sin so that we, that's me, that's you, might be, might be made known the righteousness of God in him. In other words, he became sin. He paid the price so that I didn't have to. That's what Jesus did. He hung there in the darkness. In the middle of the day, it becomes dark as night. The Son of God is suffering under the weight of the sin of all the world, and God the Father turns his head. He turns his head away. Why? Because he's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, and he can't look at that sin. And Jesus is alone. And he pays the price alone. The price that I should have paid, he pays alone. So that you and I never have to be alone. Because now, when God looks at you and me, he sees his righteousness. He doesn't see my sins, my nastiness. No, he sees that garment of his righteousness that is placed on me, not because I earned it or deserved it, because he freely gave it. So when I got problems, when I got hurt, when I'm suffering, I'm not alone. Jesus is there and he's fighting for me. God is on your side. The world may let you down, but God never will. You may be abandoned by all humans on this earth. God will never abandon you. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You are never alone. And when things get tough, when things get tough, we don't need to fear because that battle belongs to the Lord. Isaiah 43, but this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fires, you will not be burned. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. This is the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians says this, if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling broken, here's what it says. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this treasure. It makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from us. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in us. Friend, we are resurrection people because he won the victory.